All right, so today uh, we got an hour and 20 minutes, and my job today, all right, so specifically today, is I'm going to do my best to give you a taste of how myth, these fantasy stories, can point to the true story, okay? Some of you, I know, already get that, so just sit back and enjoy the fun, all right? Some of you just have never thought about it like this. You go to the movie theater, and you're like, hey, I paid my 10 bucks, and I had a great time. And you, you've missed the fact that most of these great movies, especially like the Star Wars coming up, they are intentionally, yeah, these are intentionally myth makers trying to help us make sense out of our lives and to inspire us to live deeper, richer, greater lives. All right, it's more than just entertainment, fair enough? Well, with Lewis and Tolkien, that was all incredibly intentional. And then they even add in the fact that these are Christian authors knowing that the true myth is the Bible story that we are in, so their stories are designed to do that for us. Fair enough? So yes, I'm going to have my crazy lit teacher hat on, but for this one, um, it's more than that. It's this literature that's trying to point us to Scripture, which points us to the true story, which is our worldview, like connecting those dots. So today I'm just going to take a bunch of time, kind of cruise through it all, and then next week we'll slow down a little bit, and I'll talk about your final exam, and I'll model for you what I'm looking for in the final exam throughout the week with the, the Fellowship of the Ring. Fair enough? That's kind of what we're doing, all right? Tomorrow I am gone. Um, go and take my kids to the Nutcrackers, <laughs> right? And then we're gonna, we're gonna go to a cabin for the weekend, so <laughs> gonna have a good time. So have a great, have a ball. You guys get to watch a really great documentary by Nat Geo on Lord of the Rings. So this one, not going to waste your time. This is the one that they put inside the actual like big, thick edition of Lord of the Rings. Like It's, it's a great documentary. Um, so have fun with that. The nice thing is that it actually does what I'm doing, and it's a secular group that's doing what I'm trying to do, except they don't add in all the biblical stuff. But it, it's a good one. All right, so you just get to come, chill, Friday, watch that. If you have not read the pages in the workbook on myth and then your final exam, Please, again, make sure you do that. I will talk about it on Monday, but you have a whole weekend here if you want to start thinking about that. I, I would encourage you to come on Monday with a book or a story or a novel that you've chosen to do that final exam with. I also highly recommend you read the ending of the textbook. Okay, now You're getting a lot of it from me, but it will definitely enhance your understanding of that final project and this whole process. We good? Questions on logistics? All right, let me pray. Lord, uh, thanks for a chance to do this. And I just pray we'd have a lot of fun today looking at all these different elements and jumping into The Hobbit and watching how myth, great fantasy story, can point us to our lives and to help us make sense out of our lives. And, and even more so, maybe even help us create a worldview that's big enough for the world and that is supernatural almost to a point where the supernatural is natural. Pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen. Now, I did this on Tuesday with the opening of the fellowship. Did you catch a little bit of what was going on there? Maybe some of you were like, oh my gosh, I never knew. You know, like, that'd be great. Some of you are like, oh yeah, I got you, D. Doing that again, except going in even deeper today. Let's start with some of these quotes. I gave you a whole bunch of quotes here on myth um, from these six pages of, of myth stuff in the guidebook. What are some ones that stood out to you to help you understand this concept that I'm talking about? Anybody got one? Yeah, Luke, what do you got? Uh, 
number three, it's like we need joy. Yes. I highlighted that one. <laughs> we, we need it. It's not like, oh, I wish I was happy or I wish I had more joy in my life. No, the joy of the Lord is our strength. Like joy is one of the fruits of the Spirit. Like we need joy. And, and I love the rest of that one too, right? You catastrophe is a funky word. Catastrophe is the worst possible thing. What's a you catastrophe? The best possible thing. And the worst possible thing has happened. We're slaves to sin in a world covered with darkness. But also the best possible thing happened, which is what? <laughs> Christmas. <laughs> it's amazing, right? Like Christmas is insane. You know what I love about this? Even if you don't believe the Bible, you don't want the Christian worldview, most people who understand the narrative of it kind of wish it was. Because it's what? It's awesome. It's awesome. Like, who doesn't want a God who is loving, who loves you, wants to make you the best you, to do that all as a gift so that you can dwell with him forever out of his love and grace? and gives you meaning and purpose on this planet. <laughs> Who doesn't want that story to be true? You know, like, it's the best story ever. And the coolest thing is, is what? It's true. So cool, I love Tolkien's take on that. Is that we almost don't have to, like that guy said in Sheffield, we almost don't have to stiff arm people into this. We just gotta help them understand, no, 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 it really is that good. It really is that true. Uh, based off of itself. How about another quote? Who's got another one? Yeah, what do you got? I like number 10 where it was, I believe in Christianity, yes, I believe that the sun is risen, not only because I see it, but because by it I see everything else. Yeah, what do you like about that one? That's the one I chose for my sermon. Ah, uh, no way! <laughs> so, yeah, I thought that's that's really great. Cool. It's a super famous Lewis quote, as it should be, right? That's worldview, right? For Lewis, his worldview helps him see the world everything in the world like the light of the sun so, so great How about another one yeah i like number eight we see though not with the eye because that's like our like our faith yeah it's hebrews right certain of what we do not see that's great i love william blake he's just awesome he's the dude from you know british lit with the tiger tiger burning bright you know the lamb poem you know great brilliant guy I love that quote. That's a tweeter right there, right? It's not that it's not that reality is irrational. It's just that reality is bigger than reason. Ooh, that's so good. That's very freeing. How about this side of the room? Anybody over here? Yeah, what do you got? Uh, six. Yeah, six. What do you like? Um, it's a big one. Yeah, the motifs that. It does. It really does. And, and pretty much anybody would say that, even if they don't believe it. They're just like, yeah, that Hebrew myth, it goes deep. <laughs> You're like, yes, it does. <laughs> right. Good. Yeah. I got number one. Which yeah. Is, uh, myth we may say is the transmissions of, of the cumulative knowledge, experiences, and universal truths constantly out of human existence, kind of the same. Myth just is like, it's really what broadens our perspective on all the truths. Yeah. What it means to be human. But it does it in story form, 
We do it in imagination and story form. It keeps the supernatural in it usually, which I think is really healthy, right? Because uh, the real story is what? Supernatural, right? Um, you'll see me, maybe by the end of class we'll get there. But I love it when Gandalf rolls in the town. There's a wizard who rolls in the town and that's just what? Normal, right? And we'll, we'll do that today. Like Bilbo's just talking with a wizard who does supernatural things. That's a, we're okay with that, right? Um, kind of fun. I think we're good. All right, here's the thing. I used to try to teach on myth, but that's like, we miss it. That's not the point. You're not supposed to teach on it. You're supposed to what? Experience. It's one thing to talk about Avatar. It's another thing to go watch it and experience it. Does that make sense? It's one thing to talk about Star Wars. It's another to sit. And you're not supposed to talk about it. You're supposed to what? See it. See it. Be in it. Right? So we got to stop talking here at some point and just jump in. Let me do one or two more things from these quotes that I think can help pinpoint what we're trying to do today. I love the number seven, the myth became flesh. Guys, this is Christmas. Uh, in this spring, I hope that my class, especially the grace lesson, culminates at Easter. Like I, I seriously, I try to do that. So that you do the grace lesson and then you go for Easter break and everyone's like, oh my gosh, grace. You know, like it's perfect because of Easter. For you, guess what we get to culminate in? Christmas. I hope this class maybe peels off another layer or gets another shovel full out and go a little deeper. Do we, do we get what's happening when we celebrate Christmas? <laughs> God becoming a human being? It's crazy. It's crazy. Inside of Mary's body is God growing? Like, do we, do we get this? Like, no way. It's, it's crazy. It is a crazy, crazy, crazy story. Please let it be crazy. Angels showing up and singing, declaring peace on the entire planet. Like, the whole thing is nuts. Let it be nuts. Like, let it be crazy nuts. And then realize it's true. <laughs> what? It actually happened? It's just so fun. That's why it's so great to do this with kids, right? They're putting up a little, you know, little stable scenes and talking about it. And like, yeah, God's inside Mary's belly. What? <laughs> I love that. How does that happen, Dad? I don't know. <laughs> I don't know, but it did, right? So it's just fun. Um, go to uh, number 11. Listen to this. Frodo asked, why was I chosen? Real quick, did Gandalf choose Frodo? No, it wasn't Gandalf. It wasn't even the ring. Who chose Frodo? Does anybody know? Silmarillion. Does anybody know? Ilvatar, who is the creator god of Middle Earth, chose Frodo to destroy the ring. <laughs> what? <laughs> yeah, like if we don't understand this, there's a whole mythology here for the Lord of the Rings with a creator god who's in control of everything. Is that the one who made the ring? Nope. Oh. He's one of the angels. He's one of the servant angels. So Melkor is one of the angels who helps sing existence into existence. And Sauron serves Melkor. So he's like a second-class demon. Not even Lucifer. Interesting, right? Um, 
Gandalf replied, You may be sure that it was not for any merit that others do not possess, nor for power or wisdom at any rate, but you have been chosen, and you must therefore use such strength, heart, and wits as you have. Does anybody know the Shema? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind. Heart, soul, strength, and mind, depending on which one you pull from. Right? Wait, what did Gandalf just tell Frodo to do? Use your strength, heart, and mind. He quotes the Shema. Ain't it crazy? Love that. We can miss those things. It's like missing Galadriel saying, do not let your hearts be troubled. That's a direct quote from Jesus to the disciples. Good stuff. Um, number 17, let's do that. That'll be our transition. Number 17, there is no didactic prescription of the right way to live. In other words, instead of moralizing about the corruptness of men and their damnation through their sins, demanding that one must be good and turn the other cheek in the face of adversity, Tolkien as Frodo showed compassion for the miserable Gollum, and we believe it. The temptation to fall of Boromir is more eloquent than many sermons, and we listen to it. Who has ever seen a uh, sermon or heard a sermon on temptation and sin and, and falling into temptation. Come on, raise your hand if you've seen one. How about multiple sermons on this, right? We've heard lots of sermons on sin and how it can destroy us, right? Um, has anybody heard a sermon on turn the other cheek? How we gotta love our enemies and be kind to people who are mean to us. Anybody heard that? A sermon or a lecture on that, right? So the sermons and the lectures are out there. Yeah, multiple, multiple, yes, multiple. Lots, right? Guess what? When we watch Lord of the Rings, when you read Lord of the Rings, but like when you watch it, and you watch Boromir fall into the temptation of the ring and how it destroys the group dynamics and then he gets riddled with a whole bunch of arrows from orcs and you see that the wages of sin is death that that choice didn't make him an enemy but it took him off the quest I watch that if you've heard a sermon about that well guess what you just watched a sermon so guess what we could do at church on Sunday morning Watch Lord of the Rings? Huh? Home church? <laughs> home school? Home church? Right, you're like, you think that I'm spinning that or trying to be cute and clever. No, no, like, for real. If we understand how this stuff works, are we learning biblical truths and biblical com concepts? Oh, yeah. I actually sometimes learn more. When I watch Frodo go on a four-month camping trip, with a guy who wants to murder him and eat him. And Frodo is still what? Nice to Gollum? He's kind to Gollum? What? <laughs> who, who's ever been camping? Okay, has anybody ever been camping with someone who wants to kill them? Yeah, you have? No. <laughs> All right. All right. Yeah, that would be tricky, wouldn't it? Yeah. And Frodo does it. He's able to show love and compassion to Gollum. So much so that Gollum actually starts changing. He's learning his identity as Smeagol. And he, he, he likes Frodo. What? <laughs> we get to watch that? Yes. That, that to me might be more powerful than some of the sermons I've heard on love your enemy as, as you know. Love your enemy as yourself? Did I say that? Well, it would fit, but. Love your neighbor as yourself and love your enemies. Right? So, so I want to challenge you here. In a Bible class, can we watch Lord of the Rings and have it be powerful commendation of scriptural truth for us? 
Yeah, actually, yeah, I'm not just doing that to just do it, right? So not like, oh, we just watch Lord of the Rings in class. No, we're watching sermons. They're just visual story sermons. We good? Power of myth. That's that's the goal of myth. Turn the page. We see though not with the eye. I made it big because it's awesome. Lewis says we don't want to just see beauty. We want to step into it, right? We want to be part of it. That's why we come up with these amazing fantasy stories is because if our life isn't truly being filled with the supernatural, then we at least want a story about how it could be, right? I love that quote. He also has a quote that I'm going to put in the workbook later. Um, it's this great quote about we need our children to watch the heroes fight the dragons so that when we meet the dragons, we know how to fight them in our own lives, right? Uh, it's powerful. Well, let's go here. Let's, we're going to jump into Tolkien now for the rest of class, all right? And we got to look at this applicability piece. Um, you know, I put the whole quote in there. This is from the foreword to the second edition of Lord of the Rings. So it's not like it's just some quote somewhere that Tolkien spouted off in some little meeting. Tolkien himself wrote this into the Lord of the Rings and the foreword of it, okay? Look at the second paragraph. Other arrangements could be devised according to the taste or views of those who like allegory or topical reference. But I cordially dislike allegory in all its manifestations and have always done so since I grew old enough and wary enough to detect its presence. Is there anything really wrong with allegory? Essentially, no. And good allegories work well. Who's, who's read Hind's Feet for High Places? Or Hind's Feet on High Places? Oh, so good, so good. It's kind of a more feminine version of Pilgrim's Progress. Who's read Pilgrim's Progress or heard of it? Right, we've got Pilgrim. He's on the journey from the city of destruction to the celestial city. And he's got his burden of sin. Right, does that make sense? Once you figure it out, you've what? You've got it. It's a one-to-one -one relationship, one-to-one -one ratio. It's not like Pilgrim could be some Muslim on his journey to Mecca. It's not, that's not the story. That would be a, you can't do that. Once you've got it, you've got it. His Tolkien doesn't really like, what was that? His name's Christian. His name's Christian. You know what I mean? Like it's, once you've got it, you've got it. The authors usually help you get it. There's, there's no other options really. Done. Tolkien doesn't like that. He likes, and I want you to highlight the word when we get to it. I, uh, I much prefer history, true or feigned, with its varied, ready, applicability. Circle that. That's what we're doing in this class. Applicability to the thought and experience of the readers. I think that many confuse applicability with allegory. But the one resides in the freedom of the reader. Freedom for us to interpret and make connections and apply. The other in the purpose domination of the author. I'm like, whoa, chill, Tolkien. <laughs> domination but whatever he doesn't like it so all right but the applicability the notes on applicability is we're gonna learn if you don't know how to already how to apply myth to your life right now I'm doing that with my kids with Star Wars how do we apply Star Wars to our life so we can enhance our lives and make them more biblically sound right we can live more fully what we're truly called to live how can we do that with Lord of the Rings fair enough if you like literature, you've probably been doing this since the sixth grade, and you do it in your sleep, and you just love it. Some of us don't, aren't bent that way, right? So here's another chance for us to kind of lean into it, especially in a Bible class. Everybody know what we're doing? Notice now how we have permission from Tolkien to do this. That's why he wrote it. He wants us to do this. Onward. Okay, you can turn to page 160 and 161. 
I've got my notes here on the Silmarillion. See this? All right, so I'm going to try and help you guys understand the Silmarillion a little bit. All right? Um, we're not going to read the whole thing. I'm not going to even read it to you, per se. I just want to give you guys a few thoughts on it. Now that you have it, you can pull it out. I'll point out a few things, a few quotes here. Um, so if you have it on your screen, again, Silmarillion, you can pull it up on your screen and follow along. Um, these two pages in your guidebook are meant to guide you through a deeper understanding of it. Okay, I'm simply going to take five, ten minutes of your life and show you what happened to me when I was in college. Kind of just tell a story of it. So someone recommend, hey, you like Lord of the Rings? Read Silmarillion. I'm like, okay. If you pick this up, it's like reading the Old Testament. Like it's not a novel. It's not Lord of the Rings or The Hobbit. It's Tolkien's mythology. It's a whole bunch of short stories and short tales, like. The Magician's Nephew, which has the creation story of Narnia. This has the creation story of Middle-earth. Kind of cool. If I were to give you one of the books off my shelf, which is the history of the world, I have two of them up there where people have tried to do the history of the world. Would a battle like the Civil War make it into that book? That's a pretty big one. Right, Lincoln, and maybe a sentence or two. Yeah. If we're lucky, a paragraph. Right, right. Yeah. Would uh, the French Revolution, Probably. American Revolution? You see what's going on? Like they, these battles would make it in there, but could we write a one thousand two hundred page novel on the Civil War? God went to wind. Like, could we do that? <laughs> yeah, and movies on the Civil War, and other <laughs> books and stories on the Civil War on Lincoln and all that Gettysburg. Like, right. So you can do that. So ready, in this book, we've got the first age, or creation, first age, second age, tons of cool stories, Baron and Luthien, oh, you gotta read Baron and Luthien, it's so good. The fifth battle, Turin and Tamar, the dragon, the fall of, you know, and Numenor, Akalabeth, oh, of the rings of power and the third age. Numenor, fights, battles, green river, Right, keep going. Oh, 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 wait. There it is. There it is. Mirkwood, Saruman, and then we get, oh, wait. Mithrandir, and Frodo, and his company, and then they move past it. Like, and they destroy it, and we're good. Right? Does that make sense? Big battle of Pelennor. So it's like a page and a half. Okay. Tolkien took the page and a half from here, pulled it out, and did what with it? 1,200 pages of the Lord of the Rings. Does that make sense? So that's what this is if you want to know. Goatine? Really cool. Baron and Luthien is kind of a, a beautiful autobiography of Tolkien and his wife and their engagement. And he calls her an elf. And it's great. Yeah, she gives up her immortality to marry. Really cool. On his gravestone, it says Baron and Luthien with he and his wife. So, kind of cool. So if you were to pick this up, Silmarillion, he never finished. He started in the trenches of World War I, never finished it. It's the whole backdrop, the setting for Lord of the Rings. It's his mythology. He's a myth maker, right? Like Homer. Not kidding. Got it? Um, if we were to listen to this, I have the audio version. It takes about 20 minutes to listen to, so we're going we're gonna to pass on that today. It's great, but we're just going to not, not take the time for it. Um, if you go to the opening pages, you'll see... Uh, there was, our, for page 15, there was Eru, 
the one who in Arda is called Ulvatar. And then he goes through this and he creates the Einar, who are the holy ones, the offspring of his thought. So these are angels. So there's God who creates angels. And then he asks them to sing. And these angels sing, and it's beautiful. But then one of them, Melkor, wants to sing his own thing. Uh, Ilvatar has the secret fire which gives life to things. Melkor wants his own secret fire to do his own thing with it. Imagine during the Chris Christmas concert next week, everybody's up there singing, and they're singing, Oh Holy Night, and then all of a sudden one student starts going, Jingle bells, jingle bells, like right in the middle of it. What would happen? <coughs> Discord, awkward, uh, right? And they're doing it to try to get what? Attention and glory for themselves. They come out into the audience like, hey, look at me. Melkor, right? He does that. He wants attention. He wants every, everybody to focus on himself. He wants to create his own song. It's called the Discord of Melkor. Well, Ilvatar could do what? He could stop him, but we get some things in here. Already, look at the mythology of Middle-earth. This is not Star Wars. I'm not bashing Star Wars. It's just very different world. This is why we do it in a worldview class. There is a creator God. He creates beings with free will. One of those angel beings has the freedom to come against that God and those other angels. He uses his freedom in the wrong way. It creates discord and tension. But does the creator god, Ilvatar, stop him? No. They sing. They sing another theme. They sing the third theme. Doo -doo 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 -doo, right? They sing a fourth theme, and then Ilvatar stops the whole thing. And then we get these lines right here. It's on page 17. Right? Page 17. Then Ilvatar spoke, and he said, Mighty are the Ainur, and mightiest among them is Melkor, but that he may know that all the Ainur, that I am Ilvatar. Those things which ye have sung, I will show them forth, that ye may see what ye have done. And thou, Melkor, shalt see that no theme may be played that hath not its uttermost source in me, nor can any alter the music in my despite. For he that shall attempt this shall prove but mine instrument in the devising of things more wonderful which he himself hath not imagined. Well that brought shame and anger to Melkor. He now hates Ilvatar and the song. And then what this creator God does is he says, hey you guys sang that beautiful song? Guess, get ready, ready, watch. Boom! They get to see it like a hologram. They get to see it like, oh, we sang that, and it's the earth all unfolding. They're like, oh, how cool. That was our song. And he's like, yeah. And then now guess what? You get to, after they watch it, you get to now enter into it and be part of creating it and making it real. So then they all enter into the song, and they enter onto the earth, and they start making the earth. And there's a guy who loves earth. There's a guy who loves wind, water. Right. So, and one of them loves to make mountains. Uh, Ulmo likes the water, and so he loves the, the oceans and the rivers and the waterfalls and the rain. Right? And so that's the creation of Middle Earth. Those of you who like music, for Tolkien's version of creation, it's done through what? Music and song. Pretty cool. In the Hebrew story, God did it with what? 
he spoke. Yeah, he spoke, and then he made with his hands. Right? In Narnia, Aslan does what? Aslan sings it into existence, right? By the way, was anybody there for the real one? God, I guess. They're all just what? Is there an African story? Is there an Egyptian story for creation? Is there an atheist story for creation? Yeah? They're all what? Seriously, they're all what? They're all just stories. Yeah. Nobody really knows. Big Bang is a story. Right? Evolution is a story. Genesis is a story. There's Chinese story for the creation of the world, right? Like, go, go Google it. It's kind of fun to look at all the different stories that are out there. Nobody knows. Nobody can prove it. They're all stories. Which one are you going to pick? What would it take for you to convert to this one, to Tolkien's, as the real one and not the Moses one? Now, I want you to think about that. There's three things I want to leave you with, and then we'll move on to The Hobbit. As I look at this story, I was sitting there, junior year of college. I can remember the chair I was sitting in while I read it. And I put it down after I finished these opening chapters. And I was like, that is awesome. What a cool way to think about creation. And I had this thought, I wonder what it would take for me to convert from the Moses one to the John one. John Tolkien. John Ronald Rule Tolkien. Moses wrote it down. Tolkien wrote it down. It would take a lot to convert, wouldn't it? Yeah. I'd want some evidence. I'd want authority. I want stuff, right? Hey, next time you try to convert someone to Christianity, guess what you're trying to get them to do? Change stories. That's a big deal, isn't it? How easy would it be for you to change stories? <laughs> what kind of trust list would it take? Yeah? So that's the first bit, is story is powerful. Whether, whether you like it or not, everybody is mythical, and everybody has a story for creation. Isn't it a little awkward when we fight over those stories, and we argue over them? They're just stories. Like, why are we fighting? Right? Let people tell their sides. Uh, second piece. I'm going to take three minutes on this one, just real quick. I hope it's redundant, and I hope you already know this. But because I didn't, <laughs> i got to make sure I cover all my bases with all 72 of my students. Um, I grew up in the churches around here. I went to the Christian schools. I was at a Christian college. And I read this, and I was like, oh, awkward. <laughs> awkward moment. Repent moment. Um, I had thought that it was Satan versus God. Now, if, if you've thought that, you don't have to raise your hand or admit it or anything. You could quietly just learn the lesson. Or you can admit it, go for it, whatever. No shame. But I always thought it was Satan versus God in my head. That's actually monism. That's yin-yang. If we think that Satan's fighting God, uh, we've missed it. I had missed it because I was always scared of Satan and like, ooh, I wonder who's going to win, Satan or God. Of course it'll be God. He's stronger than Satan. You guys, Satan's an angel. He's a created being. Put, I already said this this semester, put God and Satan in a boxing ring. If you're not laughing, why? Like, seriously, does Satan have a chance? Uh, no way, <laughs> right? 
I did not realize that until I had read the Silmarillion. <laughs> I heard sermons on that and probably flannel graphs. I've studied Job, like all of it. It just never clicked. But I read it in here and I'm like, Ilvatar is in complete control. And Melkor has got nothing. Melkor fights these other angels. Satan's fighting Gabriel and Michael, not God. He's got no when you, actually, when you look at Job, he comes to God with his tail between his legs, right? Like, you're like, hey, please do something to Job. He's like, yeah, okay. Like, he's got no chance. He fights the angels, and then he fights who? Us. Well, I think that's interesting, too. If we're going to fight back against this angelic, powerful, satanic being, well, what kind of power do we need to be victorious? Something stronger, which is who? God, which is why God does what? gives us his power to fight him off, right? Oh, yeah. But it's not just like he's stronger, he's what? We're talking like a kitten against a lion, and not even that, right? He's a created being. <coughs> Enough said, that was my three-minute mini lesson there. But just in case you've never had someone make that clear, <laughs> let's get it clear. Hopefully in Musso's class with angelology, you got it, right? But for me, I didn't get it until I read what? The story is what helped me get it. Let's do one last thing and then we'll just we'll throw on Hobbit for a little while. This last piece that I got from Silmarillion, which is why I want to encourage some of you to read it. If you keep reading, you'll read as they're creating Middle Earth, the mountains and the water, right? Melkor goes in there and he hates Ilvatar and he hates all this stuff. It's the discord of Mel Melkor. So he comes over to the mountains, ready? Picture this guy, he wants to destroy the mountains. He's filled with hatred, wants to destroy mountains. He goes up to the mountains and tries to destroy them and then creates what? If you've ever read it, he, he creates beautiful valleys. He, like, he creates Rivendell. Thanks, Melkor, nice, nice work. Did he want to make something beautiful? Uh, no, <laughs> he was trying to destroy things and in the process, made waterfalls and valleys. Can he really destroy it? No, he there's, there's beautiful rain and rivers and the ocean. Melkor hates the water, so he just tries to, he tries to heat it up to destroy it and creates mist and steam. Thanks, Melkor. <laughs> That's beautiful. The fog is beautiful. And then he tries to freeze it and he creates what? Snow. That, thanks, Melkor. It's like, can you imagine how frustrating that was? You try to destroy something, and when you try to destroy it, it makes something more beautiful. Ah! Right? I remember, just, I seriously remember laughing, like, oh my gosh, he must be so frustrated. He's trying to destroy stuff, but we get this line where Il Ilvatar is in such control. He says, For he that attempteth this shall prove but mine instrument in the things of devising more wonderful than they even imagine. It's like you're quoting Ephesians 3. Right? This is, this is Satan who's like, oh, wait, Jesus is God and I can kill God? Come on, you guys, let's go, let's go, crucify him, let's go, kill him, nail him to the cross. Yes. And he's like, yes, I just killed God. Oh, oh, shoot. Wait, I just saved all the human beings? Oh, crap. Wait, what? Wait, and now, wait, now he came back to life? What? Now he's conquered death? Ah. Shoot! I, can you imagine? I, I should. Funny was his laugh. Like how frustrated Satan must have been. I was like, yes, I killed God. Go, no, 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 no! I just saved all the humans. Ah, right. 
And like, I get knocked down, but I get up there. And I was like, I just killed God, and then he just came back to life. Oh. Right? Like, do, do you guys get this? Can Satan destroy anything that God's doing in your life? I only got a few shakes. I, I know. I don't, do, do we get it? Like, he can't destroy it. He can't. We have a God of redemption who is so much more powerful than Satan that he's willing to let Satan try to do stuff and knows that he'll just redeem it. I'll redeem it. I'll redeem it. I'll redeem it. He's like the God of spin. Like, you just, whoop, look at that. Oh, that worked out. Hey, look at that one. Right? Oh, you tried to kill me. Ah, look at that. That didn't work. You know, like, I just saved everybody. Thanks. You know, like, what? No wonder he's so mad. <laughs> he can't get him. Right? I got this lesson. It clicked for me. I loved having that. I loved seeing it here. I got that a year and a half before my dad died in a horrible car accident at the end of college. I'm really grateful to Tolkien for this story of knowing that when an enemy tries to take out my family and kills my dad, can he really ruin my family? No. Can he really destroy my destiny? No. Now, 20 years later, I can say this. It, was, it took a little while to get there. <laughs> but I, I now can distinctly say I can almost celebrate, rejoice in the fact that God allowed that to happen because of the redemption from it, the connection I have with people who've lost parents, how it's allowed me to stop idolizing my own father and see God as my father. Right? And some of those things can happen without the death of a dad, but there's some stuff that just... God allowed that, and he's redeemed it so much that I'm not afraid of it, that I, I see it almost as a blessing in my life, which, I, am I really saying that out loud right now? <laughs> Actually, I am, right? Because Satan can't ruin my life. He can't. I'm no longer a slave to fear. I'm not afraid of Satan. He's an angel. And God, God's in complete control, right? I got that from Silmarillion. <laughs> Which is crazy, this story. I, yes, I've been taught it. I'd heard the lectures and the sermons. But guess what made it sink in for me? The story. Fair enough? So there's a little, I just want to introduce you to Silmarillion. We spent, what, 15 minutes on it, 20 minutes on it, just to give you a taste of the power of really great myth like Tolkien. The other reason I want to do that is very different. I love uh, Harry Potter. Seems like it's great. I've enjoyed getting to know it. I can't wait to read it all with my kids next year. But even in Harry Potter, do we have a creator God that's overt and explicit? Now, we know good and bad, so we're okay. But like Tolkien, we don't get that in Star Wars, but we know good and bad, kind of. <laughs> we're trying to figure that out. Like in Lord of the Rings, there is a creator God who says Melkor evil, Sauron evil, Gandalf good. Like it's defined. It's objective, right? And... This creator God picks Frodo. He's in control. He's in, he's in charge. Questions? We good? Cool. Those pages in the guidebook can help guide your learning if you want to take things a little deeper with that. Turn the page. First Corinthians and Silmarillion is a great read. They work well together. Go to page 163. My Elijah wrote, did a dragon there. Kind of fun. Um, when your dad's making the book, you can stick your picture in. <laughs> there you go. Uh, let's start The Hobbit. I'm just going to start playing it. We got, what, about 
40 minutes. It'll be fun. We'll just kind of chip away at some stuff. Do you see how I'm trying to help you see how myth points to our story? What we can learn from. Let's do that with the Hobbit. We'll just kind of start right from the beginning of it, which will be fun. I'm going to skip through stuff, right? Um, but to make, I have three specific points that I want to make. Um, one about monsters, one about an invitation, and then one about the riddles in the dark. We'll see if we get there by the end of class. All right. Onward. Okay. Uh, who, just raise your hand if you've seen the movie, The Hobbit, just so I know my audience. You've seen The Unexpected Journey, the first, number one of The Hobbit. So you've seen it. So most of us, if you haven't, you'll be able to catch on pretty quickly. All right. Again, this is kind of like the opening of the Fellowship of the Ring like I did on Tuesday. Oh, we'll end up there. <laughs> you need the lights, that's great. You asked me once if I had told you everything there was to know about my adventures. And while I can honestly say I have told you the truth, I may not have told you all of it. <laughs> That's so great. I am old now, Frodo. I'm not the same hobbit I once was. Mightiest of the dwarf lords. 
straw ruled with utter surety, never doubting his house would endure, for his line lay secure in the lives of his son and grandson. Ah, Frodo, Erebor, built deep within the mountain itself, the beauty of this fortress city was legend. Its wealth lay in the earth, in precious gems hewn from rock and in great seams of gold, running like rivers through stone. The skill of the dwarves was unequal, fashioning objects of great beauty <laughs> out of diamond, emerald, ruby, and sapphire. Ever they delved deep down into the dark, and that is where they found it. sign, a sign that his right to rule was divine. All would pay homage to him, even the great elven king, Thranduil. But the years of peace and plenty were not to last. Quick pause. Oh, wait, quick pause. <laughs> pause. Hey, is there anything wrong with being rich? Hold on. Is there? No, there's nothing wrong with having lots of wealth. There's nothing wrong with having lots of power, right? How have things, how has things been going for these guys right now? Good. He's making other people prosperous. He's being generous. Everything's fine. Any dragons showing up yet? But that's the key. No. He's ruling. He's got a family. He's sharing. Other people are honoring him. He's got the cool Arkenstone thing. We're okay right now, aren't we? I think of like Solomon. It's okay to be wealthy. It's okay to be wise. It's okay to share. It's okay to make your city prosper. That's all good, healthy things. In some respects, you know, the prosperity gospel goes south when we feel entitled to that. But it goes well when we think about the fact that there's nothing wrong with God wanting to have you prosper on this planet so you can build his kingdom. Does that make sense? That's not a bad thing. To, so we can end poverty and end sex trafficking and help people have comfortable homes. Like that, that's not none of that's bad, right? Okay, here's the key uh, on this page uh, 163 from a famous, famous, super famous, I could say, essay called "The Monsters and the Critics." Uh, Tolkien used he's a Beowulf scholar and he used Beowulf to realize that monsters, all monsters in mythology. It's a bold statement, but it actually ends up being precisely accurate. Monsters reveal and attack our weaknesses. Think about it in the superhero movies with Batman or whatever, like Superman. The monster attacks the weakness with the kryptonite. Does that make sense? Like it reveals our weakness. So if you don't know you have a weakness, when you get attacked by the monster, you all of a sudden learn what? Oh, that's my weakness. Does that make sense? So it, it attacks where you're weak, but in the process reveals to you that you're weak in that place, right? In Beowulf, if you know the story, do we, anybody know Beowulf the story? Rothgar, King of the Danes, I know it's so good. Rothgar, King of the Danes has this great mead hall. 
in the mead hall. They drink a lot of mead, but at the beginning of the story, they're worshiping the Creator. They've become Christians. They worship the Creator. They're theistic. They love God. It's like you're reading Psalms. It's really cool. But then after their worship night, so they have worship night. Think of this like in the chapel. All right, after their awesome worship night, though, they get drunk. Oops. They get drunk. Well, interestingly, as they keep getting drunk after their worship, a demon from the swamp comes and attacks them. He doesn't attack them while they're awake and while they're worshiping. He attacks them when? When they're drunk and hungover. Do we see the weakness? The demon comes in, rips off the doors, eats half of them. You know, like, this is horrifying. The demon, Grendel, attacks them in their drunkenness. Not for their worship, not for the mead hall, not for any of that stuff. He attacks their weakness. Tolkien sees this and makes the connection. Interestingly, the hero, if they're going to fight that type of monster, can't have that what? Weakness. Or the monster would do what? Attack that weakness. So guess who comes in across the ocean? Beowulf sails in. And he is the, quote, strong-hearted, wakeful sleeper. <laughs> right? He, he's not drunk. He says no to the mead. He doesn't get drunk. They all get drunk again. The monster comes in. But who's awake? Beowulf rips the arm off the monster. Go team. Right? Interesting, later in the story, Beowulf has tons of treasure and a dragon shows up because Beowulf becomes prideful and greedy. Wiglaf has to come in and Wiglaf fights the dragon, similar to in The Hobbit. And how do we kill the dragon in The Hobbit? Yeah, the dwarves aren't going to do it, especially Thorin. He's become prideful again, like his dad does here in a second, right? They have to kill it with the black arrow, and who shoots it? Bard. And Bard is humble and not greedy. Well, dragons are prideful and greedy. <laughs> are we tracking? Yeah. Kind of cool. I would love for some of you to take this to heart. Think about where Satan's attacking you, where the enemy's attacking you, or where you are most tempted. The monsters in your life are attacking what? Your weakness. You know what? The porn monster doesn't bother people who don't have a weakness of lust. See what's going on? You probably need to get someone to help you in your life to be a hero for you, like Christ, but even a mentor who doesn't have a lust problem. They can help you fight the porn monster. See what's going on? Like, yeah, the, the pride, if you're getting attacked with pride, yeah, that's probably your weakness. You got to find more about, uh, we got to piece it together. Pretty powerful, pretty cool. Tolkien's famous for this. Slowly the days turned sour, and the watchful nights closed in. Thor's love of gold had grown too fierce. Too fierce. A sickness had begun to grow within him. Uh-oh. It was a sickness of the mind. Renew your mind. And where sickness thrives, bad things will follow. When does the dragon come? Now it shows up. <laughs> the dragons are known for being prideful first and greedy. There was a noise like a hurricane coming down from the north. 
piles of the mountain creaked and cracked in the hot, dry wind. the lives of his kin against the wrath of the dragon. No help came from the elves that day, or any day since. Who brought it? A moose, that did Robbed of their homeland, <laughs> the dwarves of Erebor wandered the wilderness. A once mighty people brought low. The young dwarf prince took... Young dwarf prince. What's his identity? He's a prince. He's, he should be king under the mountain with this amazing kingdom, but he's off doing what? Wandering the wilderness, being a blacksmith in a town. He's not really being who? His princely identity. And you guys have been saying it for three or four weeks now. You guys are princes, princesses in the kingdom of God, right? This story is about a young prince reclaiming his identity, reclaiming his kingdom. But in order to do that, he's got to do what? 
Kill a dragon, right? Kill a dragon. Where he can find it, laboring in the villages of Merth. But always he remembered the mountain smoke beneath the moon, the trees like torches blazing bright. For he had seen dragon fire in the sky, and a city turned to ash. And he never forgave, and he never forgot. And that brings us That, here. my dear friend. Excellent. Now, we'll, we'll keep going. We'll keep going. Let's just tie, tie something under the end of that here. If you're thinking, but isn't it God's will that a dragon took over that kingdom? I mean, that's just God's will because God let it happen. Wait, did Ilvatar let it happen? Yeah, but is it Ilvatar's will that a dragon? No, you, no it's not his will. He doesn't want a dragon to rule that kingdom. We want who to be in there? The dwarves in prosperity and health and safety. Does that make sense? So that means something's not right. So what are we going to do? Yeah. <laughs> We've got to go kick that dragon out, right? Easier heart. Really hard. I mean, easier hard to destroy the works of the devil. Easier hard to reclaim your identity. Easier hard to get the kingdom back. Easier hard to get back all that treasure that has been stolen. Well, that's hard. You don't have to do it. But like, what else is there to do when you look at it in this light? Does that make sense? Like, what else are we doing with our time if we're not doing that? Yeah? One of my favorite pastors, uh, Heidi Baker, she travels the world, world serving the poor. She says, our job is to go reclaim back what Satan stole. We've got to go back and get all the treasure that Satan stole. And she said, and my favorite treasure are our children. She lives it. It's amazing. Go look her up. She lives it. But she sees herself as reclaiming treasure for God's <laughs> kingdom that Satan has stolen stolen these young girls in sex trafficking poverty stealing this child the kids aren't running around playing they're starving she's like i'm going to steal these kids back from the darkness and bring them into the light and into the kingdom she sees that as her mission in life if you need a mission in life go for it right let's get the kids back what else has been stolen by the dragon stolen by the enemy that we get to go fight for and reclaim as gods right you've never seen the hobbit in that light well there's your invitation <laughs> it's a powerful story right it's a hard journey isn't it yeah but is it worth it totally it's risky right even for thorin he kind of misses it there at the end but it's not all loss and then we get this i want to take a few minutes to just do this piece right it's where i come in mm. For quite by chance, and the will of a wizard, fate decided I would become part of this tale. Yeah, he said fate decided, but that's not the whole story here. And we get the awesome Shire piece, and then Bilbo, and he wants to hide from the people next door. Dashable me? Nonsense. Be a good lad and put that on the gate. Yeah, he just said, are you getting a little uh, isolated? <laughs> no admittance. 
you'll come. Who? Gandalf. Oh, he wouldn't miss a chance to lit up his quiz poppers. He'll give us quite a show, you'll see. Right then, I'm off. Off to where? East Farthing Woods. I'm going to surprise him. Yeah. Well, go on then. You don't want to be late. You don't want to be late. He doesn't approve of being late. Not that I ever was. In those days, I was always on time. I was entirely respectable. And nothing unexpected ever happened. But we serve the God of the unexpected, right? <laughs> But like Barbara said, are you willing, just even off of that, to go on an unexpected adventure, an unexpected journey? Good morning. What do you mean? Do you mean to wish me a good morning, or do you mean that it is a good morning whether I want it or not? <laughs> or perhaps you mean to say that you feel good on this particular morning? Or are you simply stating that this is a morning to be good on? <laughs> All of them at once, I suppose. <laughs> hmm. Can I help you? <laughs> that remains to be seen. I love that. <laughs> I'm looking for someone to share in an adventure. <laughs> I love that moment. I wrote it in my little textbook. Like, I'm looking for someone to what? Yeah, not go on. What? Share in. Because Gandalf's already what? Gandalf's already on the adventure. He's saying, hey, do you want to be part of it? I love thinking of the Gandalf like the Holy Spirit in these books. He comes blowing into town. Hey, do you want to go kill a dragon? What? What? <laughs> You don't have to, but it's gonna be awesome. You wanna go kill a dragon? Um, I, uh, what? <laughs> or Frodo, right? Hey, Frodo, you wanna go destroy an evil ring and take down Sauron? What? <laughs> now, Frodo has a different piece. If he doesn't destroy that ring, the Shire's gonna get destroyed. I like doing both of them, because for Bilbo, does he have to go? No, he could just hang out with his doilies and <laughs> be in his cozy little hobbit hole and completely missed the whole thing. But then what would he have missed? Oh, come on, what would he have missed, right? Yeah. All that adventure and the elves and killing the dragon and Bard and all the treasure, I mean, just all of it. He would have missed his life. He would have missed Bilbo, right? He would have missed being who he was created to be. That's, that's the call right now. I don't want you to miss it, right? This is the beauty of it. When we understand grace, there's no more fear. There's no more coercion. You don't have to worry about going to hell. You're on the right side. You're a citizen of the kingdom. You're adopted into the, you know, the family. You're in. It's just now, what are you going to do with it? What are you going to do about it? And if God comes knocking on your door, hey, you want to you go over here? Oh, you got some really cool thing going over here. What are you going to do, right? An adventure? <laughs> no, I don't imagine anyone west of Bree would have much interest in adventures. 
nasty, disturbing, <laughs> uncomfortable thing. Yep. Make you late for dinner. <laughs> mm. I love this. Mm. <laughs> good morning. You think that I should have lived to be good morning by Belladonna Took's son? As if I were selling buttons at the door. Beg your pardon? You've changed. I'm not entirely for the better, Bilbo Baggins. Uh. I'm sorry, do I know you? Well, you know my name, although you don't remember I belong to it. I'm Gandalf. And Gandalf means... Me. Not Gandalf, the wandering wizard who made such excellent fireworks. Oh, too. Used to have them on Midsummer's Eve. <laughs> no idea he was still in business. And where else should I be? Uh, he's like, yeah, uh, somewhere else. <laughs> well, I'm pleased to find you remember something about me. Even if it's only my fireworks. Uh, well, that's decided. <laughs> It'll be very good for you. Most amusing for me. <laughs> I wonder if that's why. No, God says sometimes it'll be good for we you. Do not want and fun for any me. adventures here. Thank you. Not today. Nothing. I suggest you try over the hill or across the water. Good morning. I love that. He's like, see ya. <laughs> the Holy Spirit bring to your door and invite you on a journey what unexpected guest might come over and invite you on a missions trip you know you could just be sitting there enjoying your fish and chips right and a knock on the door I love that. He's just like, I just want my dinner nice all to myself. I'm fine. And then what happens? <laughs> oh, you got to watch it if you haven't seen it. They all come in. It's just so great. And they make a mess and they sing songs and they, you know, empty his cupboard. Right. And then Thorin Oakenshield and they get out the map. We got a map. And then we got a key to get us back in. Of course, the key is a great symbol. So we've got a key. And then they talk about the dragon and they offer him to come as the burglar. I used to hate that he was called a burglar. I felt so bad. My religious spirit was so uncomfortable with that that he's a thief, but he's a good guy. But wait a second. Who's he stealing from? The dragon. Oh, yeah. Oh, wait, now we're okay. As long as you're stealing from the enemy, <laughs> go ahead, right? So, uh, what was that? Who's stealing? From the enemy. Yes, right. What if I'm stealing a child back out of sex slavery? Will God hold that against me? I doubt it. Right, there we go. All right. Um, 
we get a nice conversation with Gandalf about doilies and like he's just too comfortable. He's settled in too much in the suburbs. I mean in his hobbit hole. Alright. <laughs> nice. There we go. And he's off to bed and they're not sure they can do it, right? It's overwhelming. By the way, I live here too, so don't worry. I love it. It's safe. There's nothing wrong with being safe. There could be something wrong with being too safe. Summer. Was it easy for Paul the Apostle to spread the good news of the gospel? <laughs> Super hard. the weight of this task it's epic it's huge and so here's the here's the this lesson I just don't want you to wake up one morning and have what missed it for Bilbo this was 60 years earlier imagine where you will be in 60 years I hope you haven't missed the adventure of your life because you kept saying no. I mean, the Holy Spirit is persistent. He'll keep inviting you and keep inviting you and Hello? keep inviting you. I just don't want you to keep saying no, keep saying no, keep saying no, right? Bilbo almost missed this one. See, here's the beauty of it. Are they going to force him to go? Are they going to coerce him? Will it work if you manipulate or use fear on this type of adventure? It won't work. It won't work. You can't sustain that. You have to make the choice to say yes.
great, right? I'm going on an adventure. He's running out the door. He doesn't want to miss it. Don't miss it, right? Don't miss your life. For me, the thing that I would connect here is don't miss the call to authentic discipleship. You're getting it right now from Mr. D <laughs> at the end of this semester. Don't miss that call, whatever that might look like in your life. Thoughts on that? Comments? Are we seeing how this story can point to our story? Right? I think we have enough time for maybe just a short one, one more. We don't have a ton of time. I wish we had another 10 minutes or so, but we got seven or eight at least. As he runs out the door, right? It's, it's great. He hops on the pony. Things go well. You get the, you know, he forgot his handkerchief. You get the big epic scenery. It's powerful, right? But then you get the backstories and they're being hunted by orcs, right? It's hard, right? It rains. It's uncomfortable. We realize that there's bigger darkness out there. In Mirkwood, Sauron is rising up. He's coming back. The shadow is coming. They end up getting attacked by trolls. <laughs> oh my gosh, right? Like, you can start seeing, like, this is that, that journey. And they, each time they learn things. After the trolls, this is where he gets sting. Huh. That trial, that challenge, he ends up with treasure, and he ends up with a sword. Huh. And each time they learn something, they grow. They grow closer together, they grow stronger. They end up in Rivendell, which is super powerful. They learn the answer to the riddle on the map, right? More orcs are coming to try and get them. They meet Galadriel and Saruman back in the day. They realize that Sauron has escaped. Right? He's building these weapons that are brutal. They continue on their quest. They up in the mountain. They got rock giants in the mountain. Who knew about rock giants up there, right? They end up getting trapped by goblins, orcs, in the belly of the mountain here. Right? Powerful. But Bilbo finds himself here. This is called Riddles in the Dark. It's one of fa Tolkien's favorite chapters that he wrote. It's super famous. And we meet, this is the first time we meet Gollum. And this is where Bilbo finds the ring. Gollum has had it for how long? Right? 500 years? Finding yourself there. This is intriguing how the directors put this in. 
That sword glows with blue light when the enemy is around, when an orc or a goblin is around, right? The ring. Well, it's glowing because there's an orc in the room. stops glowing, which shows that Gollum is actually not what? He's not an orc, and actually not necessarily the enemy. He's a hobbit, right? So many metaphors in this scene. Let me give you one or two more before you guys head off to lunch. So just give me the last few minutes. dead if he didn't have what? His sword. It amazes me how many Wheaton Academy students think they can go off to college without their sword. I just paused it with my kids when we were reading it. We haven't watched this yet. Pretty intense. But we were reading it and it says right in there he had a sword, a blade from Gondolin. Wait, we're not done. We're not done. Hold on. Right? But even just that right there. Who do we think we are going off on our journeys without a sword, right? The, the Bible is the sword of the spirit. Gollum would have eaten him if he didn't have it. He didn't even know how to use the sword. He just at least has it. Please don't go on your journey without the Bible, let alone knowing how to what? Use it, right? Um, let me just give you a thought or two about riddles in the dark. It's powerful. I got a whole big lesson on it. We don't have time for it today. But even just this, Bilbo's gone into a dark cave. They're going to set up a game of riddles. And Bilbo has to answer a riddle to save his life and get out of the dark cave and go back on his journey. A, we've got Allegory of the Cave for five and six-year-olds. B, check this out. I love this. He has to answer a riddle to save his life. Yeah, look at some of these. Voiceless cries, wingless flutters, toothless bites, mouthless mutters. A, what does it take to answer a riddle? But B, that's four paradoxes. If you can get the answer, wind, which solves all the paradoxes, you could save your life. So, Paradoxes save your life. If you refuse to accept the paradox, you get eaten in the darkness by the enemy. Brilliant, brilliant. And Tolkien even helps little kids in the kids' story understand paradox and how paradox 
can save your life, let alone get you out of darkness into the light back on your journey. I wonder how many of us have not allowed for the paradox. And so we're not maybe literally getting eaten alive, but our hearts or our minds are getting eaten alive because we won't accept the mystery. We won't find the answer in paradox, right? We aren't allowing the riddles, the answers to the riddles to save our lives. See you guys. Have a nice day. Don't get eaten. Your homework, don't get eaten alive. doozy today you guys with Hamlet and then this spoiled yeah see ya thanks nice job today Luke see ya Yeah. See you, Grace.